So we've been looking at Exodus, the book of Exodus, second chapter, or sec, second book in the Bible. Last week we were in the second chapter. So the next place we're going to go is, what do you think? Third chapter. You are tracking like crazy. Uh, if you picked up one of the Bibles we have out in the foyer, uh, it's on page 27. If you didn't, I can't tell you what page it's on. And if you're using your phone, I can't tell you what page it's on. So you're on your own for that. But we're going to look at Exodus chapter 3 today. So what happened last week? Well, Pharaoh had been trying to destroy the Israelites, in particular uh, having baby boys thrown in the Nile River because he wanted to stop them from having any military advantages. So uh, there was a special baby born to a family who was a Levite family, and they um, wisely placed Moses in a basket, otherwise known as a small ark, put him in the Nile River in the reeds, and it turned out that uh, the, a princess of of um, who's a daughter of Pharaoh found him and said, I, I want this baby for my own. So Moses's that was Moses, the baby. Moses's sisters came along and said, hey, could I help you find a nurse for him? She said, sure. So she goes and recruits Moses's mom, her mom, and she cares for him for the first few years of his life. She has to take him back to the princess, to Pharaoh's daughter. And Pharaoh raises up his uh, nemesis right up under his own nose. So Moses... Uh, learns about his own culture, and 40 years later, he decides he's going to go out and try to start redeeming his people, Israel. So he's been 40 years living under uh, Pharaoh's household, and he goes out and sees a couple of Hebrews fighting, and he says to them, hey, why are you fighting? And uh, actually before that, he saw an Egyptian beating a, a Hebrew, and so he, he ends up killing the Egyptian. So the next day he goes out and he sees a couple of Hebrews fighting, asks them why they're fighting, and they, they say, who made you boss over us? Who made you prince and judge over us? And uh, he said, are you going to kill me like you killed that Egyptian? So Moses freaks out, and he thinks I'm in trouble. And sure enough, he is because Pharaoh's got a death sentence on him. Pharaoh wants to kill him. So Moses takes off to the land east of where he is, land of Midian. And uh, he sees some shepherds hassling these seven young ladies. So he's got mad skills, and he beats away the shepherds and uh, rescues the, uh, the, the girls who were trying to just take care of their own sheep and get their sheep watered. And he even waters the sheep for them. He took their job and did it for them. So they go in, and their dad, who is the priest of Midian, his name was Reuel, and he says, uh, so what are you back so quickly for? Well, uh, an Egyptian came along and, and rescued us, and, and he watered the sheep for us. He said, well, what are you waiting for? Invite him in for dinner. So they invite him in for dinner, and he ends up uh, sticking around, and the Reuel, the priest of Midian, uh, gives his one of his daughters, Zipporah, to Moses as a bride. Well, this wasn't what Moses planned, and so he's in exile now in Midian. And so Israel is still suffering. They're under terrible slavery, terrible oppression by the Egyptians. And so it doesn't seem like anything good is happening for the Israelites yet. But then at the end of chapter 2, we read these three verses, chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. During those many days, the king of Egypt died. And the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. So they start really crying out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning. And God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So God heard their cry. He knows what they're going through, and he's ready to implement his plan of rescue. So uh, let's stand, and we'll read the first what... 13, 12 verses of chapter 3 of God's Word, Exodus chapter 3, 
verses 1 to 12. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of the bush of a bush, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight while the bush is not consumed. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, Do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of, the, out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now, behold, <clears throat> the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I've also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that, that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Father, we thank you for your word. 3,500 years ago, show us how this meets us today in the way that you fulfilled it for us in your work through Jesus Christ. Teach us through your spirit what we need to see from this text, to be more impressed with you and more amazed at your great redeeming work. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So Moses has worked his way down in the world. He's no longer a member of Egypt's royal household. He's a shepherd, and the Egyptians really hated shepherds. They thought they were just nasty breed. Uh, he's working for his father-in-law, Jethro. Now, if you were paying attention, last week, chapter 2, it says his name was Reuel. So was it Jethro or Reuel? Well, it's both. He had at least two names, maybe more, but at least two. And neither one of those names is very popular today. In fact, the only Jethros I've heard of are Jethro... Um, related to Jed Clampett, the Beverly Hillbillies, and Jethro Tull, a famous rock star of the 70s and 80s. Jethro Pugh. All right, I, I've heard of Jethro Pugh. So there's three. Any, any other Jethros? No? Ray Uels are even uh, more rare. And the only one I've heard of is a guy named uh, John Ronald Ray Uel Token. J-R-R-R Token. J-R-R Token, sorry. Not three R's, two R's. So that's the only Ray Uel I know of. Well, that's just free information for you. I hope it blesses your soul today. <laughs> it is no small coincidence that Moses is shepherding sheep for 40 years in the wilderness. So he goes, he goes to Midian when he's 40. He doesn't get out till he's 40 years older, which 40 plus 40 is 80 years old. So uh, this picks up about the time he's 80. Um, Moses has no idea. This is how God is preparing him to be the deliverer and leader of his people Israel being a shepherd for 40 years in Midian. He may have assumed he was out of commission to be his people's deliverer. He had blown it, and that was it, by killing the Egyptian and going into exile. Well, so much for that. I guess I'll just be a shepherd for 40 years. He didn't know it was going to be 40, though. You may be in a place in your life 
where it's not ideal. It's not what you dream, not what you hope. And you may think, well, the reason I'm here is because I blew it, and God's taken me offline, and so this is, this is it for life. Second choice at best, or even worse. But God may have you there, because for this season of your life, he's, he's uh, going to prepare you for something really good that you can't even imagine. So uh, don't think that because you're in the wilderness of Midian, that that's where you're going to be for life. And God is at work in your life, even if you haven't, you're not where you, you really hoped you would be at this time. It seems Moses has gone pretty far west in Midian territory into the Sinai region, probably because the grazing was better there. And that takes him to um, a, a mountain called Horeb, otherwise also known as Sinai, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appears to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. Uh, Moses sees that even though the bush is burning, it's not consumed, which he thinks, well, that's weird because bushes are normally burnt up to a crisp in fire. So I, I think I'll go take a look at it. That's not normal. And being in the desert for 40 years and the wilderness shepherding for 40 years, this is probably the most exciting thing he's seen for a while. So in verses uh, 4 to 6, the Lord sees that Moses is coming to check out the burning bush, and he calls to him from out of the bush, Moses, Moses. Now, this wasn't a threatening call, yet he is warning Moses that to, to watch out because he's standing on holy ground. So what makes, what makes the ground holy? Well, it's because God is speaking to him out of the bush. That's what made the ground holy. Now, is it God or is it an angel? Because it says it's the angel of the Lord. But it seems very clear it's not just an angel speaking for God. It is God himself speaking out of the bush, appearing in some kind of flaming angelic form, which God can do that if he wants. He's totally able to do that. And he did that actually more than once in the Old Testament. Many think that this was probably an appearance of the Son of God before he came to earth as Jesus, came and took on human flesh as Jesus, because he's the one that appears and reveals God to us. So that's probably who he is. Uh, God's presence is also fiery at other times in Exodus. So you read in Exodus 24 that the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a devouring fire on top of the mountain inside of the people of Israel. So he's like a dividing, he's, he's a devouring fire. He, uh, as they go through the wilderness, as Israel goes through the wilderness for 40 years, Israel uh, was led by God appearing as a pillar of smoke by day and pillar of fire by night. So God's known to be showing up in fiery form. As he identifies himself as the God of his father and the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Now, if you, if you haven't been reading much in the Old Testament, uh, God promised to a man named Abraham that he was going to bless all of his descendants. They'd be a blessing on the earth. He'd make them of a great nation and multiply them as the sand and the stars. So he said, I'm going to make you really great. And Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob, and God changed Jacob's name to Israel. And so he created Israel out of Abraham, and he, and, he, and he promised he was going to make of them a great nation, and they would be great and a great blessing to all the peoples of, of, of the earth. So he's identifying himself as that. That's who I am. That's who's speaking to you out of the bush. So Moses hides his face because he's afraid to look at God. It's like looking directly at the sun during an eclipse. You can toast your, your pupils. So don't do that. Don't look at God too closely in the, in the bush. And sinful people are fearful in the presence of a holy God. Like fire is holy in that sense because it's both attractive. So it's kind of like you're a dark night. It's kind of cold out, and you, you, you're drawn to go look at a fire, but you don't want to just get too close to it because you get burned. So it's that kind of attraction uh, fear thing because fire could be dangerous, especially if you're combustible, which we are. So fire is 
uh, dangerous, flammable people. Even though he is the God who revealed himself to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he had made a, who had made a covenant with him, he has advanced his revelation beyond what he did to them because he didn't really talk in, much in Genesis about his holiness. I mean, God was holy, but now he's up, he's stepping up and he's enlarging the scope of his revelation of himself and he's, now he's emphasizing more his holiness. Why is he doing that? Well, because he's, he's wanting his people to understand more of who he is, but also because he is calling his people out to become a holy people. So God is going to make his people a holy people, not like the nations, but to be holy as he is holy. We have so little concept of God's holiness. Now, it does, God's holiness does refer to his moral perfection for sure. I mean, we don't know any perfect people. And so for, for somebody to be absolutely without any dark, hidden, murky, secret evil in them, we, we don't have a concept of that. So that's who God is. But uh, the word holy simply means set apart, separate from. So God is definitely set apart by being morally pure. But that's not all his holiness is. His holiness is he is just totally unique. There's no one else like him. He's not like anything else. He's different than anything else. For one thing, he's infinite. He is all-powerful. No one else can speak things into existence, like try speaking the earth and the sun into existence, try speaking the galaxies into existence. It's really hard if you've ever tried it, and God just does that. So he's very different. He, no one else can, um, is sovereign over everything, every atom, A-T-O-M, every creature, every ruler, the forces of nature, over time and history. He alone accomplishes all his purposes, so he does, he, he never fails. He always does what he aims to do. He deserves glory and worship from all, so none of us here deserve that. Sorry, but only God deserves that. We can't endure his holiness. Unfiltered, it destroys us. But God is also merciful. And so therefore it says in Hebrews chapter 12 that we should offer to God acceptable worship for he's a consuming fire. Like the fact that he's holy and a consuming fire doesn't just scare us. It, it motivates us. This God is great. How, how can I do anything but to serve him? So that's how it motivates us in when we're um, covered in Christ, as we'll talk more about. In verses 7 and 8, God says, he says, I've definitely seen my people's affliction in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their oppressors. I know their sufferings. So if you're God's child, he sees your suffering. He hears and he knows your suffering and your, and your mistreatment. And even if God hasn't delivered you out of that yet, you just need to cling on to that fact that he knows and he sees and he, he is at work. They've been in Egypt 400 years and they've been oppressed and enslaved for much of that time. And at last, God says, I have come down. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up. I've come down to bring them up out of Egypt to a, a good land, broad, flowing with milk and honey. Now, that's, that's metaphorical language. It's not like you're slogging through sticky milk and honey all over the place. 
That'd be kind of messy, but it's saying it's just a rich land that's got lots of sweet and good things. But God says, full disclosure, by the way, it has lots of milk and honey, but there are also Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. But we can deal with that. And we can't help but to think about how Jesus came down to bring us up out of our sin, out of our enslavement to the world, and to bring us into a good place. So Jesus, Moses was all about Jesus. That's what Jesus said. Moses wrote to me. He, he foresaw my time, and, and he longed for my days. So Moses is always pointing us to Jesus. In verses 9 through 12, again, we're told Israel's cry has come to God, and he sees the oppression which the Egyptians are oppressing them. Moses must be delighted to hear this, but what God says next probably freaks him out. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh. I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people out of Egypt. Moses responds, who am I? That's, that's a pretty good response. Who am I? That's better than his self-initiated effort of 40 years ago that led to him committing murder and going into exile. So now it's, it's not so much, hey, I'm, I'm bad, I'm going to re- redeem my people. No, I, who am I? Who am I? Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? God's answer is, is basically, I'm not sending you to do this because of who you are. I'm sending you to do this because of who I am. And I'm going to be with you, Moses. I will be with you. I, I will be with you. And here is a sign for you to know that I have sent you. When you've successfully brought the people out of Egypt, and you shall serve and worship me on this mountain. So that's kind of a, that's like, it's not a sign that really works for Moses. It's like, give me a, a sign up front, like this after the fact sign that once I, I'm successful, that that's the sign that, I, that, I, that you sent me. Give me something that I can go off of now. And so we'll see more that Moses has a lot of questions and objections, and God gives him some other signs. But, um, but that's true. If God sends you and is with you, the mission can't fail. So it's actually a pretty good indicator. <clears throat> this sh- should be our response to God's purpose to send us as his witnesses into the world as well. Who am I with my weaknesses and failures and struggles, my quirks and inconsistencies? Who am I that I should go and tell other- others about Jesus? Well, you know Jesus' answer. First of all, he says, I've been given all authority in heaven and earth, so I have something to say about what you do. I'm sending you, so go make disciples, and I will be with you. So we don't have the excuse. It's, I can't do this. It's true, but he will be with us. And the sign that Jesus sent us is in Revelation, when all the peoples of the nations are of, from every nation are, are worshiping around Jesus' throne. Now, God didn't need to use Moses. He could have just toasted Pharaoh right off the bat and sped up the process and got him out of Egypt quickly. But he had a purpose in, in using Moses. And God is a Savior who does his work through a human mediator. 
Likewise, God doesn't need us to build his church. Christ said, I will build my church. Way to go, Jesus. We'll cheer you on. But I'm not doing it apart from you. Oh, okay. So he he purposes to use us, and he he will not change his mind. He's not going to say, okay, well, obviously you can't do this, so I'm just taking it over. I'm taking the reins. No, he's using us to build his church. Not just harvest, but worldwide. So I'm going to read to you from the remaining verses in chapter 3, starting with verse 13. So follow along in your Bibles, or you might even have it on the screen. 13 to 22. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, Jebusites, and a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us, and now please let us go a three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go and thus compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go, and I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and your daughters, so you shall plunder the Egyptians. So in verses 13 to 15, Moses is saying to God, If I say to the people of Israel, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask, what's his name? What do I say? It's actually a pretty good question, um, because they should know what God is, is he talking to. So that's not a bad question. God answers, this is what you should say. I am who I am. So is that the name of, of the God of Israel? Well, it's, it's related to his name. Uh, it, is, it is who he is. The God of Israel, Israel's God, is who he is. Or he will be whom he will be. This can mean he is eternal, as am I always am. I just always am. Or that he is self-existent, as in I exist because I exist. I have no cause. I don't get my identity from anyone. I am who I am. God is. He just is. Every child at some point asks, who made God? And hope you weren't stumped by that. Because the answer is really simple. 
Nobody. He just is. He's always been there. This is a significant way that God is, is holy because no one else is like that. No one else just is. Only God is and always has been and always will be. In fact, you can, God says, in fact, you can say to them, I am has sent me to you. Then God says, say to the people of Israel, the Lord, our English Bibles say the Lord, and you have it in all caps. This is the noun form of the verb to be. So now we've got to talk grammar. So if you need to, to um, take a nap or something, go ahead. But um, <clears throat> he says, the Lord is who, who is talking to you. The Hebrew consonant. So in the Hebrew language, there are no vowels in the original Hebrew. They, they knew how to pronounce words without the vowels. So you get a few centuries past the first century, and they begin to realize we're losing the pronunciation of the original um, old, old our, our scriptures. So there was a group of Hebrew scholars called the Masoretes, and they began putting vowel points in the words in order to preserve the pronunciation of, of the language. But when it came to God's name, they said, well, but God's name is too holy. We can't pronounce it. So they took the, the vowel sounds out of the word Adonai. Adonai is a word that simply means Lord or Master. And they put it in the, the, the name for God. So you, the, the consonants are Y-H-V-H or Y-H-W-H. And the vowels they put in made the, the name Yahweh. So older uh, way to say it was Jehovah. So either way, but Yahweh is probably closer to what it is, but we don't know. So that's your English Bibles just have Lord in all caps in it. Shows up 6,800 times plus in the Old Testament. All right, and you can wake back up. We're done with the grammar lesson. So God tells Moses to say to them, The Lord, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I'm to be remembered throughout all generations. So God is saying, My name is... I'm the one who is. And I've attached my name to your fathers by covenant. So as awesome as that is, as, as high and lofty of a thing as that is for God to be um, that exalted, he, he connects his name to his people. Because God is who he is, because of the covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Moses and the people of Israel can be Sure, God will fulfill this covenant. That is what will truly make them his people. The God who is has attached his name and connected his identity to his people. So the religious leaders of Jesus' day were often ticked off at him. And so one day they said, hey, are you saying you're greater than Abraham? And Jesus said that Abraham looked forward to the day when the Savior would come. By faith, he saw Jesus' day and was glad. They said, you're not even 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And so they pick up rocks to throw at him because they know he's claiming to be Yahweh. God's deliverance of Israel would free them out of their identity as slaves in Egypt and into their identity as the people of, of Yahweh, the God who is eternal. 
So Jesus saving us of us frees us out of our fleeting world and slaving identities into our identity as those who belong to Christ. So Christ is Yahweh. He's the Lord. He's the hope of that Israel longed for. He's, he's our Savior. What identity are you living out of these days? People-pleasing identity? Your old identity? Are you still thinking of yourself in terms of your old habitual sins? And just think, that's who I am? I can't be anything else? Or is your main view of yourself as a victim of past hurts or wrongs done to you? Or do you get your identity from your job? From your wealth? from your education, from your role in the family, or from what your friends think of you, or from your followers on social media. Because the people of Israel didn't keep their identity grounded in their relationship to to Yahweh, even after they were freed from Egypt. When circumstances got tough, they wanted to go back to Egypt. In spite of all that God had done for them, in spite of all he had revealed about himself, in spite of the way he he destroyed the Egyptians and freed them, they thought their old identity as slaves was more comfortable than trusting him. If you're not regularly growing in knowing who Christ is for you and who you are in him, when the pressure's on, especially when you're times of stress, fear, and conflict, you'll be paralyzed with fear or angry or irreconcilable or sunken down in depression or finding unhealthy ways to self-medicate. But if you're growing in knowing Christ, the hope to which he has called you, and the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, you'll increasingly live free of, of the snares of your old and world enslaving identity. Now that God has clarified who he is as a sender of Moses, he can say what he says in verses 16 through 22, But we're going to stop here, and we need to have a song. So come on up, and I'll pray. Father, we are amazed at who you are. You are I am. You exist always. You are always for us. You have advanced so far beyond just delivering people physically out of a bad situation to to delivering us from the bondage to sin and death and to worldly ways of living. You've given us great freedom in, in Jesus. Father, our identity is in you through your son, Jesus. We are Christ people. We are Christians if we've put our trust in and faith and hope in him. We thank you, Father, for giving us so richly your own son, who is the fulfillment of all Moses ever longed for, all Israel ever hoped for. You've freed us. You've liberated us. You've given us life. You've given us righteousness. You've given us holiness. You've given us hope. Thank you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.